You're listening to Nick Luck Daily. This edition is brought to you by Fitzdares, by the Racehorse Owners Association, and by Thoroughbred Racing Commentaries Global Rankings. Good morning. Welcome to the show. It is Friday, the 28th of April. Once again, I'm coming to you from Punchestown, where I'm very much looking forward to another fantastic day's racing. Yet more grade one success yesterday for Willie Mullins. He took both feature races with Classical Dream, who was brilliantly ridden by Paul Townend, and with the bulldozing speed machine that is El Fabiolo, who brushed aside his stable companions and rivals with great ease. More Punchestown today, and we'll be looking back on that on Monday. There is no Sandown today. Sandown's flat meeting today has been abandoned owing to waterlogging, yet the jumps card goes ahead absolutely fine tomorrow. So Sandown off today, tomorrow fine. If you listen to this evening's edition, you'll be hearing from Shark Hanlon talking about Hewick and why he's decided to run him in the Oaksy Chase in preference to the Bet365 Gold Cup. You'll also be hearing from J.A. McGrath talking about an excellent weekend in Hong Kong featuring the QE2, which itself stars Dubai Honor, who was so good in Australia last time. But today's Friday edition, today's daily edition, is devoted to reaction to yesterday's gambling review white paper. From a racing perspective, from a political perspective, and from a betting industry perspective. Later in the programme, you'll be hearing from Sean Trivas, the chair of the Horse Race Betters Forum. What does he think this means for you, the punter? You'll be hearing analysis from our regular correspondent, Neil Channing, of who the winners and losers are in this white paper. But first of all, I wanted the industry perspective and in his uh, first broadcast interview since the publication of the white paper, I was able to connect with the Betting and Gaming Council's Chief Executive, Michael Duggar. And I asked him first of all for his initial reaction to what he had read yesterday. We welcome the white paper yesterday, not least because, as you rightly say, you know, we have had years uh, of delay in terms of uh, the review and, and the uncertainty. And I think in particular, you know, I'm thinking about the 110,000 people whose jobs um, depend on um, on regulated betting industry and the 22.5 million people who enjoy a bet on a regular basis. Um, I was disappointed that the Secretary of State didn't make any reference to all the people who work in the industry, all the tax we pay, uh, the economic contribution that we make, or the fact that this is millions, uh, there are millions of punters out there, and this is what they choose to do with their own money. Um, but that's just how it was. But in terms of the substance of the white paper, we've worked extremely hard to ensure uh, that for uh, as much as possible, we've got a set of proposals that I think are uh, balanced and proportionate and, and careful. We have got massive amounts of work to do to make sure uh, that we land this correctly. Um, but I think yesterday you know, showed that the betting industry that has not always been best in class and has made mistakes in the past actually three years ago with the BGC came together and frankly got its act together um, and I think has had an awful lot of influence over uh, this white paper 
and there'll be lots of things in there that your listeners uh, won't particularly like. Um, sometimes it could have been worse is not the best line in the world, but you know this is a vastly better white paper than we'd have got even a year ago, never mind what we might have had three or four years ago. All right, what will my listeners like least in your opinion? I think that Ponters will be worried about what these uh, new enhanced um, checks are going to mean in practice. And I totally get uh, their anxiety. So when they, you know, they'll say, well, these these checks at these low levels, which are essentially open banking checks, you know, what will that actually mean? And they'll be particularly worried about what does frictionless actually mean? And, uh, And the reason why I understand their anxiety is because that is something that I've expressed repeatedly in private with ministers and officials as we've been talking about this for months and months and months. Now, what we have to do is to hold the government to their word that these checks at £1,000 a day, £2,000 over 90 days, will be genuinely frictionless. And by that, the government says no documents. Documents is not the starting point. And neither is the um, the view that, that somebody else can simply look at um, your discretionary income and your discretionary spend and make a judgment as to what they think you can afford to spend uh, in terms of your own money on betting. I, I, said, I, said, I said yesterday, Michael, that this is, this is a blunt instrument. Um, you know, £1,000 to one person, particularly if they already have £20,000 in their betting account, is, might be nothing. Uh, you know, £1,000 to the next person could mean financial ruin, potential bankruptcy, loss of house, uh, harm to family, children, etc. You know, that, and 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 that sure, surely after all this time, we've been we've been wanting a more nuanced and intuitive approach to this. And and what we've got is a battering ram, haven't we? I, I don't think so. I think that I, I'm, I'm not. I'm not sure. I share that. I, I share the concern, but I, I don't think it's entirely uh, accurate. But look, the thing is, spend does not equal harm. So there will be there will be cases where people will be spending. You know what most people think is quite a lot of money on betting, um, and they'll be experiencing no harm whatsoever either because, as you said, they've got lots of money, um, so can, in inverted commas, afford it, um, or because they're not showing any markers of harm. And actually, the truth is now, technology, when it comes to online betting, enables you to have a far more sophisticated um, assessment, risk assessment when it comes to customers. So markers of harm, it's not simply how much money you're spending. You can have someone who's spending a lot and experiencing, uh, showing no signs of markers of harm. Someone who's actually spending a lot less, but maybe displaying quite a number of markers of harm. So the issue is not about, you know, one's got lots of money, one hasn't got lots of money. Markers of harm are things like, you know, what time are they, you know, what time of day are they gambling you know is this a lot late at night through the night um are they chasing losses you know the algorithms can spot all of this you know and we need to be spotting this and intervening on customers um all of those things are they making you know rapid deposits from from different um different sources you know all of these um multiple markers of harm but, are the things that we need to use to to properly assess the risk but none of, but none of, but none of this is in the white so it's not simply about paper. how much money you've got yeah 
But none of that's in the white paper, though, is it? it, it that, that's what I mean. It is a, you know, what, what, it, what is being put in front of us now is something that applies equally to people who are at risk and people who are um, self-evidently not at risk. But from all the conversations I've had with the government, they have said that you know, in terms of coming up with a with a new frictionless check across the industry, that is something that we are going to have to spend many months uh, working on and working with um, UK finance and the banks and uh, the information commissioner to come up with a system that doesn't involve asking people for documents. The government have been very clear to me over a long period of time that frictionless does not mean documents this is not about you know show us your papers we want your bank statements uh, and pay slips um so we are gonna have to work hard to come up with a system and they've said repeatedly that what we've got to do is to use multiple markers of harm to assess the risk of individual customers and this is not simply about how much are they spending and how much do we think that they can afford to spend do, on betting do you so, know but do you, but michael michael hang on hang on hang on hang on hang on do you do you not agree with me though that the reason people are unsettled is that after so long after two and a half years there is a lack of specificity here that yes. that, it, that is basically inexcusable you know if people if people are looking at this and saying well totally i i totally don't i don't really know what's going to happen um you know documentation is going to be asked for as a last resort it gives your membership carte blanche to really regulate as they as they see fit and 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 not for the benefit of all either either betters who are at risk or people who are winning and or losing on a daily basis who enjoy recreational gambling that the lack of specificity in the report is not good for anybody is it least of all uh, people who play and who service your industry and make the wheels go round and I totally agree with that. And it is quite a special achievement for the government to have spent so long uh, to actually in, in, to, to get to so very little detail in terms of how they intend to do these things. You know, and I've been pulling my hair out about it for months and months and months. So I completely um, get that. Look, you've got to understand what we're, we're dealing with here. These are, it's not true of all politicians. I used to be one. And so, you know, I don't want to generalize. But the truth is too many politicians, you know, wouldn't have no idea about betting. I mean, the, the conversations I've had and we've had what four secretaries of state, six ministers. You know, we've had some good people in that in that job um, who've uh, tried their best to get on top of the brief. And a lot of people have got good instincts and, um, and and have got different levels of understanding. But we've also had people who are hostile, totally hostile, not just to the industry, but really to betting. I mean, look at the language around yesterday. You know, this kind of moral alarmism, um, the sort of echoes of the religious right, you know, talking about temptation is everywhere, is what the Secretary of State said. You know, that, I mean, they say it's not for us to tell you what you can do with your own money and then go on about, you know, temptation is everywhere. The truth is, the number of people betting now is less than it was. There's been no explosion of gambling. How people bet has changed, but even with all the technological change, with online gambling, the truth is, you haven't had an explosion of people gambling, and neither have you had an explosion of problem gambling. Problem gambling rates are 0.2%. Now, on this, on this, I'm going to have to stop, because you're preaching to the converters here, particularly my listeners and, and, and 
probably probably me as well i want i want to get back to this the white paper and how it how it actively affects people who bet particularly on horse racing because that's that that that's what we're that's what we're discussing um and I know, I'm sorry, Nick, but the language that ministers use is important to your readers, and it does um, shape the white paper. That is the political context in which we are all uh, working in and living in, as people in the industry, as people who care about racing, and as punters. So actually, the language that ministers use is important, you know. And and we've got to focus on the substance of the white paper, but but the attitudes that some politicians have towards betting and racing and punters does matter, actually. But if the polls are right, given the likely lifespan of this government, are we actually likely to see any of what is in the white paper or much of what's in the white paper being being realised? Well, I think we will um, see progress on these. Now, there's a lot of consultation that will uh, run... From now on, there are some changes are legislative, but they are what we call secondary legislation. They're statutory instruments. So these are um, things that should be able to go through the House of Commons without without too much argy bargy. There will not be big debates on the floor of the House, and you know years of toing and froing in committee and with the House of Lords and all of that nonsense. So that won't happen. So the legislative changes, the SIs that will flow from this, ought to be able to be done in parliamentary terms pretty uh, pretty uh, quickly actually now in terms of some of the other consultations frictionless checks to go back to your point you know this is going to take us a long time to uh, to work through we will make as rapid progress as possible but we've now got to uh, sit down with the gambling commission and we have got to sit down with all the other stakeholders involved um, and we will do this as as quickly as possible but there's a lot of work to do so none of this is going to happen overnight but i am hopeful and confident that we can make progress as quickly as possible i mean you've been quite critical of government you've been quite critical of this government and the and the rhetoric they've used and some of the way that they've framed this this report but as we heard from david buick on yesterday's podcast all all share prices of all the major gambling operators were up yesterday this is a win for the gambling industry isn't it um it's it, it, it's a fudge that, that that that's 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 really absolved the gambling industry of the responsibilities that that that, that they should they should be they should be placed under I, d- I don't think it absolves of those responsibilities at all. I think it reinforces uh, actually the responsibilities that, that that are placed upon us as an industry to do more to better protect vulnerable um, customers. Um, and and actually that work is something that we embrace and I really really warmly welcome. We're just going to hold these ministers at their word. They said, "Yeah, hang on though, hang on though." You and you and you and but but Michael, 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 Michael. You and I both know that you only welcomed the statutory levy uh, once you knew that it was going to come in. Well, actually, a year ago, uh, Nick, and this not this was public, but we offered um, to have a mandatory level uh, and enhanced funding uh, for RET, research, education, treatment across the industry. Now, we felt the government could do it. Uh, you didn't need to have a, a statutory levy, but you could have a mandatory level levy. Something that so at the moment, since 2019. Our big members have been paying this money anyway, and actually it's brought in more money than people said it would back in 2019. We said to the government over a year ago that we would be happy to extend that 
uh, enhance funding across the rest of our members, which would be the bulk of the regulatory uh, industry, and we would make it mandatory in terms of BGC. So, we, you know, Ombudsman is a proposal that we made um, nearly two years ago. So, uh, we've been talking about enhanced spending checks for online gambling to the government uh, for years. Now, there are different ways that you can do that, but a lot of these things we have proposed, um, and rightly so. The standards agenda, how you get you know higher standards and safer gambling is really really important to that to us as a regulated uh, industry so that is something we've worked very very hard on and for a long time and very closely with the government i mean do you think that this white paper has has done anything to to help the customer yet we know its primary stated aim as regards gambling related harm but has this done anything to further the interests of the punter in general? Well, I'm, I don't think that that has been an objective that the government has set itself. I think better protecting customers, I think, is an, uh, is an agenda that all of us in the industry or as punters or in racing uh, would is something that is important, I hope, to to all of us. But they've not done this about how can we make the life of the punter easier. Um, you know, how can we how can we make the customer experience better? You know, look, these people know almost nothing about betting. They're never going to a betting shop. If they go to the races, it's once a year for dressing up. You know, this is they. I can't emphasise strongly enough how little understanding there is from most people about. There's the kinds of you know experiences and 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 what your listeners like to do, you know. So we are climbing an uphill. Uh, we're facing an uphill battle here, um, but I, I think in in terms of better protecting customers, that's a good thing, and we should embrace all of that. But this is not about making you know betting easier and better. I hope that your listeners, people who enjoy a bet, will will actually see will, will experience no change that they can get their bets on and be left in peace. There'll be better protections in the background uh, and, a, and, a, and a stronger focus on more vulnerable customers. But I hope for the vast majority of people who enjoy a bet, who do so responsibly and safely, that they will not see any difference at all. All right, that was Michael Duggar, Chief Executive of the Betting and Gaming Council. Listening to that was our regular correspondent, Neil Channing, who joins me now for this special edition. Neil, we've had 24 hours or so to digest the white paper, some of it pretty indigestible um who are the winners and losers do you think here well i think you know all the way along and i've moaned about this a lot the debate has been framed as if it's a, a debate between uh people that want to call themselves gambling reformers people that are looking to um uh stand up for uh problem gamblers and to argue that the problem gambling is rife and needs to be dealt with and the other side being the large operators uh, and of course nobody ever really speaks up for the 99% of the people that don't fit into either category, just the normal punters. I think the normal punters will feel like they haven't done too badly the the, the 125 figure um, somebody said to me where does that come from? I said it's a PFA figure plucked from arse uh, but it's, uh, you know, like it is going to be genuinely frictionless. Um, it, you know, that, that number isn't, uh, if you're getting those kind of checks, unless you're an undischarged bankrupt or you've got CCJs, uh, you should probably get through those checks. The other numbers um, I'm not so happy with. I feel like they will have a major effect 
uh, on turnover, and that will, you know, obviously affect uh, the finances of racing. I mean, we can see that since affordability checks, I mean, affordability checks have been going on for a while now, and you can see 2022, 10 to 20% reduction in gambling revenues, despite the overall market only falling by 9%. Um, so, you know, th- th- these are definitely going to have an effect on the market. But I think the big winner, the massive big winner by a long way yesterday uh, was the Gambling Commission. I mean, this is an organisation that maybe two years ago, Ian Duncan Smith and Carolyn Harris were calling for the abolition of the Gambling Commission. Uh, most people within the process would tell you that the Gambling Commission are useless. They're full of people that don't know anything about gambling. Um, they, they spend their time, their whole focus appears to be on problem gambling, uh, nothing, nothing to do with the promotion of gambling. Um, yeah, they're being rewarded. Uh, you know, they're an organization who, uh, you know, the guidelines that they give to operators, operators will tell you that the main reason that they fall into trouble with the Gambling Commission and get themselves fined is because the Gambling Commission is never clear what they need from them. They tell them that they have to come up with their own uh, procedures within the company, and then they tell them if they get them wrong, but they don't. Uh, they only offer guidance as to what the level should be before you look at someone for problem gambling or before you look at somebody for money laundering, and then they fine you if you if you if they don't like your uh, your figures. So I, I, I feel like they're getting a whole load of extra money, a whole load of extra power. Uh, and, you know, I don't really understand what what they've done to deserve to be rewarded. The, the other thing about the Gambling Commission and, and this is that they've been allowed to frame the debate. You know, there's lots of stuff in the white paper about how, uh, you know, we spoke to the Gambling Commission about this, we spoke to the Gambling Commission about that. If, if this was genuinely a root and branch generational look at how to reform gambling in the UK. Why, why would you rely on the Gambling Commission, an organisation that a couple of years ago it was sort of widely considered ought to be abolished as useless, uh, to tell you how to, how to do this root and branch reform? Uh, they, they seem to have put a huge amount of trust in the Gambling Commission. I just actually just... Ten minutes before I was doing this, I wanted to look at something uh, and see if Andrew Rhodes had commented. He's come off Twitter now. I mean, this is a secretive organisation that nobody really knows that much about. Uh, and they're just being given a huge amount of extra power and budget out of this. I, I think, uh, I, I, actually, I'm really disappointed by the white paper in all kinds of ways. Uh, will what is proposed in the white paper actually come to pass? Michael Duggar seemed confident that quite a bit of it would what do you think given the the political landscape through the next 18 months or so i heard what michael said and i think you're absolutely right uh you know this process uh since the consultation started around about two years four months ago uh the next election is going to be october 24 by all accounts which is about 18 months and parliament will probably only sit for about 14 of those 18 months what these people have proved so far is that they're brilliant at taking the ball into the corner and wasting time. And uh, yesterday, you know, we read all kinds of things about this one's going to be a new review. We're going to have a look at that. We're going to pass that over for discussion. There's going to be further reports about that. At all, at all points in this process, there will be the opportunity to slow things down and to make sure that none of this actually happens. Um, now, 
some of it, and I agree with what Michael said, some of, and, it, and it's in the white paper, some of it won't need primary legislation to happen. So some things like, for example, the levy reform in horse racing, uh, that, where they're going to have a look at whether horse racing can get revenue from bets taken in the UK on overseas racing and the change uh, to um, horse racing getting its funding from turnover rather than from the profits that bookmakers make. That won't need legislation. That can probably come in without any kind of legislation. Uh, the statutory 1%, well, it's supposed to, possibly going to be 1%, the, uh, the levy that will be charged on bookmaker profits um, and that will go to funding research into uh, gambling harm and also treatment of gambling harm, that can probably come in without legislation. So those things can, can happen quite quickly and that will happen without there being a new gambling act. But I, I asked a shrewd judge who, uh, if he wanted to lay me a price and what price would he lay that there is a new gambling act before the next general election. He started off saying 50 to 1. Then he said, no, no, maybe it's more like 250 to 1. Then he texted me this morning and said, I've thought about it again. You can have 66s, have what you like on. So did, did you take him up on the offer? I didn't really. <laughs> he, he seems so confident. Um, and I, I can see, you know, they've absolutely found it a doddle to waste time for two and a half years. Surely they can manage another 18 months of it. I mean, the thing that's going to take the longest to sort out, uh, or the things that will take the longest to sort out, is the new ombudsman. I mean, that could take forever yeah. to figure out. Um, the single customer view, they've been doing a trial on that for a while. I mean, none of this affordability stuff is really going to work if you're going to be in a situation where you can go and deposit with one bookmaker and if it goes wrong with them, you're out of action with them for the month, but now you can go and, you can go and do the same with a different one. Uh, so that, that'll take a, lot, a little bit of figuring out. And, and the whole affordability thing, uh, you know, it's a mess, basically, isn't it? It's going to take ages to sort out. I don't think any of that will see the light of day before the next election. I thought the most interesting interview in lots of ways yesterday was uh, Lucy Powell, who's the um, shadow DCMS minister. So she'd be the person for Labour if they were either in a majority government, a minority government, or some kind of coalition uh, that would have the gambling bill landing on her desk on day one. And they're going to be faced with a difficult question of, do you want to dust off this white paper, this Tory white paper, and pass it as a Labour piece of legislation? Uh, or do you want to start the process again? Or are there elements of it that you're not happy with that you need to change? These are difficult questions. She seemed to say yesterday that they were pretty happy with what the Tories had produced, and if they were in government, they'd have already done it by now. Yeah, so obviously the problem there is that Keir Starmer, uh, you know, he has received donations uh, from people within the betting industry, notably Peter Coates uh, of Bet365 fame. Uh, and, and Peter donated 25000 to Keir Starmer's leadership campaign. Now, at the, you know, obviously at the time, he didn't know that he was uh, going to be the leader, let alone the next prime minister. I, I noticed yesterday a lot of people saying, well, you know, he's, he's bought a lot of influence there. I mean, the Tories were well ahead in the polls in the time, at the time, and, the, and, and we were probably thinking that the gambling act would be passed by now. So, you know, it, it might be cynical to say that he was trying to sway this particular gambling act. I think he's just a, a, a sort of a Blairite Labour supporter. He donated money in the early noughties under Tony Blair, uh, and he hasn't donated since. He, he likes the cut of Keir Starmer's jib. But you could argue that that might sway Labour 
to be more in favour of the bookmakers and uh, and less in favour of the gambling reformers. It, it's it's hard to tell, but I think it it does pre- present a tricky political problem for Labour if they if they do form the next government. So you've got the perspective from the betting industry. You've got a, an overarching political perspective. What does this really mean for you? Perhaps the best person to, to answer that is Sean Trivas, who's the chair of the Horse Race Betters Forum. Sean, this has been a, a really interesting period uh, for, for you to, to, to take charge of, of, of this organisation. What, what was your initial reaction having waded through the white paper? Um, the initial reaction is that we're glad it's been published. Um, at least we now have something to look at something to work with and something to work on moving forward. Uh, we, we're quite aware that this is a, a blueprint, if you like, and it won't necessarily be followed to the letter. We'll wait and see what officially happens. Um, the first thoughts that we had, obviously, is that, that we want to protect punters the same as everybody else does, uh, problem punters or people with a gambling issue, and that was the priority of the white paper and something that we're wholeheartedly behind. Um, we are wary how it's going to affect uh, your day-to-day better who pops into the betting shop or has a little bet online and it doesn't seem to be quite as uh, draconian as we were all led to believe it might be so that's a positive Um, we're going to follow developments obviously closely um, over the months and even years ahead we're particularly interested by the appointment of an industry ombudsman Uh, we do wonder whether their timescales are a little bit um, enthusiastic shall we say but uh, an ombudsman an independent ombudsman is something that we've been calling for for some time now so that is very much a positive for us. Uh, the background checks, um, if they're done seamlessly and behind the scenes, then we don't really have an issue with that. Though we, we question the numbers may be a bit small for some regular punters who can afford it. Obviously, that's the uh, main thing there, if they can afford it, as opposed to those who are struggling. Uh, as long as that's done softly. What we're interested in now is how quickly the bookmakers will or won't react. Uh, will they suddenly stop some of these ridiculous bring your bank statement proof of id driving license and i've even heard of someone being asked to provide a valuation for their house believe it or not um so if those things are stopped instantly that would be a positive um but we'll have to wait and see where that goes in the weeks and months ahead have you had any assurances on on that level i mean when i was speaking to michael duggar a few moments ago we, we were talking about the lack of specificity here which which has sort of left left punters in the dark really this was supposed to sort of clarify quite a bit it doesn't seem to have clarified what people want clarifying no it may be called the white paper but it's more of a gray paper as far as i'm concerned it's, it's, there's, there's a lot of open-ended questions in there uh, that need to come out in the wash so to speak yes I mean, we were surprised actually looking on twitter by how negative a lot of the reaction was to the white paper we felt it wasn't quite as bad as perhaps as i said perhaps we were led to believe perhaps that was just to lead us up the garden path so this didn't feel quite so bad as it actually is but does, does that tell you something about the the trust in the industry as a whole that that no matter what had been released in here that there was going to be a deal of cynicism or or at least skepticism well i'm, I'm smiling as you ask that question um yes i think that i think that does answer that you've answered your own question there really nick uh yes i think there is a lack of trust between all the parties in racing there's also as you know all sorts of other things going on behind the scenes with regard to the new levy will be interesting whether that um actually adequately compensates for any losses that the industry may make through a reduced betting uh, income from betting we'll have to wait and see there's, there's a lot of wait and sees in here 
that we we can't really react to until we find out what actually happens in the months ahead. Uh, Sean, what did you make of the BHA's response yesterday? Uh, we, we originally questioned why they why they seem to be representing the punters when that sort of we work with the BHA and that's really our job. Um, to be honest with you, but yes, we, we're roughly aligned with them. Um, not deliberately; it just happens to be that way. We think that they're wary of what's going to happen and we're all wary of the unknown and I think that's the reality it's okay publishing something it's okay reading through it and defying what you think will happen but until it actually comes into practice we don't really know what effect it's actually going to have would you agree with that? Well I'm thinking specifically about the BHA's response on levy reform and really clinging to what is a short brief paragraph in a very weighty document presumably there to quell the discomfort in the industry about the effect of, of affordability checks it, it seems to have had a, a pretty significant effect but i wondered the extent to which the bha is slightly building horse racing's part here uh, and the extent to which uh, meaningful levy reform is is likely anytime soon i i think it's there and again it's, it's i keep saying the same thing it's another open-ended question there in, in that there'll be some kind of levy reform whether it's the one we want to see is another matter entirely, whether it finances the industry to the extent that appears to be needed, even away from the white paper. We're all quite aware that the racing industry needs more finance than it's got at the moment. Um, We'll have to wait and see, and that's down to the BHA and the the powers that be to discuss that at a higher level than me. Sean, thanks so much for your time. Okay, thank you, Nick, and good luck, everybody. Well, thanks to my guests today. This has obviously been a special edition. You can catch more about the weekend's action in this evening's Uh, Saturday edition that Charlotte will be publishing from nine o'clock but we still need to give you a tip for today so it falls to to Neil Channing to do the honours on this special uh, gambling review white paper edition of the podcast. Uh, Neil, uh, my bad Lucy for Lucy Fraser did actually manage to go and win yesterday. Who's going to win today? God knows. I mean I think today's quite trappy but um, one I did look at that I thought was quite interesting. Four o'clock at Doncaster uh, horse number three, Westerton, is trained by Alan King, running in a handicap for the first time. Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, it's uh, obviously the form of last year uh, as a two-year-old, not not really too relevant to this. I think the, uh, uh, you know, up in trip and uh, been gelded since last year. I, I think uh, I think it might be interesting. It's about eleven to four. That'll do for me. All right, Neil, thanks so much. Thank you very much for listening. We will be back. Normal service resumed on Monday. Uh, We'll see you then. You've been listening to Nick Luck Daily, brought to you in association with Fitzdares, the Racehorse Owners Association and Thoroughbred Racing Commentary. (music) 